1: Hello from me, Fiona Davison, and joining me today on the RHS Gardening Podcast are some voices you might recognise. On Sunday, it's International Dawn Chorus Day, a celebration of nature's very own concert. People all over the world will be getting up early to listen to their tuneful neighbours. But you don't necessarily need to wake up at an awful hour to hear birdsong. I like to listen throughout the day, especially at the moment, with fewer planes overhead and less traffic noise. And this is why I wanted to dedicate a whole episode to our feathered friends, who provide the perfect soundtrack to gardening. I'm no bird expert, But some of my favourites are the Chiff Chaff because he does what he says on the tin he says his name Chiff Chaff and I can hear him in the garden and I also have a robin who I like listening to who sits on a tree nearby when I'm digging and um, I like to think shouts me encouragement but is probably just yelling for a mate and I'm not the only robin fan at the RHS my colleague Lee Hunt feels the same way
2: I always think of the robin as a gardener's friend you might not see them looking round in your garden every day but as soon as you go out and you start to turn that soil the robin appears almost by magic the sound of the robin it's quite variable it's very tuneful it is up and down it's colorful at the moment the robin we're listening to to me has a very wistful sound it's a very calm sound and today it's fairly warm. It's spring-like. And I almost get the feeling that the robin is relaxing into it. And rather than scuttling around looking for food all the time, it has paused on that branch, which is a lesson for us all as gardeners, for sure.
3: Hello, I'm Becky Mealy. My favourite bird is the nuthatch. We have a regular visitor, and I just love how he just bustles his way onto the bird bath and everything else just has to just stand back and allow him to drink. And then I also like watching him and how he dances around the trees, goes into all the nuts and crannies and gets all the insects. And the bird song, they have like a peep, peep, peep. But it's a quick, 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 quick. I just like to watch them. I just think they have that actual dynamic of making your garden truly alive. And a lovely place just to sit and enjoy.
4: I'm Jenny Bowden. My favourite bird, I think, is the blackbird. I really love the way they tend to find a high vantage point and broadcast loudly over all the other birds. And, of course, you really can't miss it. I love the blackbird for its song. The blackbird has a a reassuring and a very lyrical song. I also find it quite a homely sound. It kind of says, all is normal here and it's a lovely day. It reminds me of sunshine and spring days warming up. It also reminds me of being in the garden as a child. I particularly remember hearing the blackbird outside my bedroom window when I was small and I'd been sent to bed when it was still light and I still wanted to be outside. It reminds me of a time when you had very little else to worry about and lived
1: a lot more in the moment than we do now. Someone who listens particularly closely to nature's chorus is Adrian Thomas. He's
2: the author of the RSPB guide to birdsong and the RSPB's birdsong expert.
1: Adrian has travelled all over the UK recording birdsong and last year did something rather creative with these sounds. As a gardener himself, he appreciates what birds mean to us.
2: Birdsong, I think, is one of those things that accompanies us as gardeners. When we're going about our business in spring, when we're digging, when we're sowing, when we're planting, it's birdsong that is the serenade around us. When you think of blackbirds, robins, wrens, dunnocks, woodpigeons, we've got plenty of birdsong around us and i think that isn't lost on most gardeners and all of them are trying to say something and all of them have got their own character in terms of a bird sound that is probably more melodious and, and more astonishing than any other that probably does go to the nightingale my earliest memory of bird song is my dad was the volunteer warden of a little nature reserve, but it was a little nature reserve that had nightingales in it. In spring, he would lead some guided walks, and I remember as a very small boy going on the guided walk and watching and listening in part to the nightingales and in part to the kind of reverential attitude of all the people on the guided walks and just seeing how incredibly moved they were by listening to this incredible bird song that struck up when all the other birds went quiet and I think that really had an effect on me. In terms of which animals out there make beautiful sounds or sing then it really is the whales and dolphins or it's birds and when we think about how integral song is, music is, to human lives. And where did music start? What we do know is that music started before human language started. And the thinking is, it can only ever be a theory, but the thinking is that humans started to make sound as our vocal organs became more more complex and we started to make the sounds of nature around us. And it's lovely to think, I mean, birdsong goes back many, many millions of years earlier than humans evolved on the planet. So the very first humans, they would have been serenaded just in the way that we are now, albeit now we've got this problem that we're losing the songsters from nature's chorus. So in 2019, the RSPB decided that as a way of trying to reach out to people who might not normally think twice about nature and the fact that nature's in crisis and the the fact that we can all do something to help it, well, how do we get that message out there? How about if the RSPB releases a single to draw attention to nature? And my suggestion was, why don't we put out a single that was pure birdsong and the RSPB Went for that. I took some of my favourite recordings. We put together the single called Let Nature Sing and released it on the unsuspecting public and made it to number 18 in the national pop charts. We've lost some 40 million birds from the British landscape in the last 50 years. So to some extent nature is falling silent around us, so why not draw the best attention to that by just putting out pure birdsong. When you consider that it was played on all of the national radio stations from Radio 1 through to Radio 6, and in fact Radio 1 then did a remix which had a lot more donk in it as they explained. so they did a a kind of dance remix of the single. It was a way of ensuring that so many people out there recognise both the beauty of nature, but also the fragility of nature. So we're hearing anecdotes that the bird song seems to be getting louder in this, period when we're in lockdown and so many people are spending more time in their gardens. I don't think it's getting louder, but I think that what it is doing is becoming more obvious because we've got much less background sound of traffic, much less sound of aeroplanes over the top. And also maybe we're taking the time to just be in the moment a bit more. When we break out of that hectic manicness that we normally in, in, in normal life, then we become awoken to the sounds of birds around us. And now, of course, in spring, it is getting to its peak. I would say that the peak of birdsong is April through into early May uh, the male birds which are the primary singers in in the UK are having to defend a territory and having to attract a mate and song is their way of doing it and it really is a, a signal that spring is bursting forth all the way around us as the flowers open the birds are singing and I think our brains and hearts link those things together.
1: As Adrian said there, it's important that we're aware of declining UK bird populations and do what we can to help increase the waning numbers. A great way to look after your birds in your garden is with a water feature. But how do you create one that's bird-friendly and beautiful? Helen Bostock is our resident queen of wildlife, so I just knew she'd have the answer I was looking for. We think
3: about maybe water in the winter and making sure that it's ice-free, but birds need water for more than one thing. And so actually having a source of water that birds can easily access year-round, you know, for all seasons is really important. In the spring and summer months, they're going to be using it to have a good bath in it helps sort of get all the gunk out of their feathers get their feathers in tip-top condition and if they're busy parents you know making nests and things they'll need a bit of a to be in really top condition to start with but also of course they need it as a water source so that really tells us that the top requirement for birds for watering the garden is access It's lovely if you've got a great big pond or maybe a formal fish pond or something like that, but if it goes straight down steep-sided into deep water, most of our garden birds just won't be able to make use of that. They won't be able to get in it or out of it safely. So super sort of little project that you can do just in maybe an afternoon is get yourself some sort of container now obviously the classic will be a beautiful you know sort of bird bath made out of stone or you know something like that but wildlife isn't that choosy when it comes to aesthetics so if you've got an old washing up bowl maybe or an upturned lid of a bin you know something like that something that's going to be watertight but will have a shallow sort of area to it What you're trying to do is get it so that at least part of your container, your bird feature, is going to be shallow enough for little legs um, to be able to stand in water without sinking. Think maybe Robin. What's the leg length on a robin? Can it stand somewhere? Because they need to be able to get in nice and close to the water, dunk their bodies down into it and give that real sort of classic wiggle around and ruffle of the feathers to get the water all the way through it without sinking. In smaller containers you can use tap water, but I think it's nice if you have got some rain water maybe stored in a water butt to use that instead. And then really, if the warm weather continues, it's going to be important that you keep it topped up. That if it starts to get a little bit gunky, so if you get algae growing in there, that's not great for the sort of next set of birds that are going to be using it. So do be prepared to sort of clean it out. Then that's going to be really good for the health of our garden birds.
1: I'm really worried because we've got lots of cats since I've been home. I've been watching there about six cats use our garden all the time and they use our pond they're drinking from our pond so I'm thinking let's put a a water feature for birds away from that if I can somewhere else because otherwise they're going to become cat dinner while they're having a bath
3: (laughs) yeah that's a really good point I mean we've got lots of wildlife and pets sharing our garden space and safety for our garden birds is really paramount so I would suggest have a little think about where you're going to position your bird-friendly water feature. Usually picking a spot where they've got good visibility, so it's fairly open, meaning that when the bird's actually in there having a drink or having a bath, they can see 360, you know, to make sure they're not being stalked up on, you know, by local moggy. Also see if there's perhaps... Um, Somewhere that's just got a little bit of cover close by, so some nice dense shrubs if you've got any, or a hedge, or maybe just some perches that you can put out because that cover gives birds that sort of confidence. They almost line up in waiting, you know, it's sort of a the pre-bathing area for the birds. They've got enough cover that they don't feel that they're going to be predated, but then they fly out, go have the bath or have the drink, and then fly back to the cover. Also, it's sort of perches for them to preen a bit on and just, you know, finish off a bit, towel off, you <laughs> know, as it were. So that would be the perfect spot.
1: And finally to go with the water feature what plants would be good to have in the garden to encourage birds in?
3: Oh yeah well we often forget that birds need a lot of plants in gardens for different things so my top plants are going to be if you can get a good couple of berry bearing bushes things like pyracantha, or maybe you've got space for a little crabapple or rowan tree also I'm a big fan of sort of bigger trees things like um, willows and fruit trees and the reason for that is that they're jam-packed with aphids and caterpillars and they're going to be needed in abundance for all the little tiny chicks that are going to be hatching out over the next few weeks I'd also just lastly say be a bit relaxed about a little bit of moss and a bit of lichen in your garden because if you've ever seen the nest of something like a long-tailed tit it's the most magical object. It's made entirely out of things like garden moss and lichens and it's all sort of lined with feathers and spiders' webs and things like that. So be a bit relaxed about some of the you know, the things in your garden because the birds will really benefit.
1: Every time I talk to Helen, I learn something new. She also told me that if I listen out for a bird that's saying teacher, teacher, again and again, that's the great tit I'm listening to. And now what about food to attract them? Well, I know that starlings love peanut cake, while sparrows, finches and nuthatches enjoy prizing the seeds out of sunflower heads. So try not to be too keen on your deadheading. For links to more information and looking after the birds in our gardens, visit our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. While, of course, I love to visit RHS gardens, I also like to visit other gardens around the country, and you can sometimes encounter some pretty impressive birds in those stately home gardens. I'm thinking, of course, of peacocks, and I particularly remember encountering them in the grounds of Cardiff Castle when I used to live in South Wales, Sometimes they'd even venture outside into the shopping centre, apparently in the spring, looking for a mate. It's quite alarming when you're in Topshop. Anyway, peacocks have inspired gardeners, writers and musicians alike, and they're a treat to watch at any age. One place in the UK where you can see and hear them is the Yorkshire Arboretum, a collection of over 6,000 trees from around the world, gathered together in North Yorkshire. Dr John Grimshaw is the director, and he's passionate about peacocks. Or should I say peafowl?
5: Everybody knows the word peacock, but that's just the male, and then the pea hen is the female, and hopefully, in the end, you'll get pea chicks, but the general word for the, all of them is peafowl.
1: Unlike the other birds we've been praising throughout the show, the peafowl's call isn't quite as pleasing.
5: The biggest downside for most people with peacocks is the terrible screeching the males do in the breeding season in spring, and of course people tend not to like that as, you know, just outside the bedroom window about four in the morning.
1: Let's meet some of his peacocks.
5: The most notable one is is called Troy, who is actually a pied peacock and has patches of white on his body as well as all the other colours. And then we've got another one who has a darker green colour instead of blue, and he's called Midnight because he's quite dark and sultry. I've always been interested in peafowl for as long as I can remember, and uh, been fascinated by the beauty of peacocks. So when I had the opportunity to introduce peafowl to the arboretum, I took it and I raised some birds from eggs, hatched them in the kitchen, raised them by hand, and then introduced them to the arboretum. Obviously, a peacock has all the fine feathers you expect, the blue head and neck, the fabulous train, which is a correct name for what everybody calls the tail, and uh, all all the eye feathers and so forth, and do the um, fanning display, the famous peacock show. The classic mating attraction, the eyes of the peacock show off, and and it's said that the uh, females choose the ones with the most attractive looking eyes. But also they rattle the feathers and make a sort of vibrating noise which also is apparently very important in attracting a female most of the times the peahens show absolutely no interest whatsoever all the boys are showing off left right and center and they just wander by apparently completely uninterested and the hens are much dowdier they're sort of soft grayish brown Peafowl are native to the Indian subcontinent, so Pakistan, India, Nepal, and so on, and uh, another species further east. And they were, obviously, because they were so beautiful, much prized as a status symbol in ancient times. They were popular in ancient Greece and Rome. They were eaten in extensively as a, as a luxury item however it has to be said that apparently once the turkey was introduced from north america nobody ever really wanted to eat peafowl again because i understand they're rather scrawny and there's not much meat and it tends to be rather tough peafowl have always been popular around grand houses you know think of many stately homes in this country to this day have peacocks strutting around and i think that was very much the case in the past as well you know they look grand amongst big fine buildings they have actually considerable character when you get to know them individually having raised uh, quite a few myself from chicks or eggs you get to know them as individuals and that's fun one may be a bit bossy and, and dominant and, and attack the others. Others may be much more placid, much more friendly. Some will come running when they see you, others will run off in the other direction. I think that peak fowl around the place just add that movement, interest. Not everybody who comes to the Arboretum is extremely interested in trees, uh, it just adds some life and difference.
1: Dr John Grimshaw, Peafowl Enthusiast Just as John is inspired by Peafowl, the birds have had a big impact in the gardening world. There are so many plants named after the creatures. Take the Peacock Lilac Phlox, with its striking colour. It's beautifully scented and has dark purplish-pink flowers in the midsummer. It loves moist soil in the full sun or partial shade and does well in borders or containers. I really like Regercias, particularly the variety Bronze Peacock. It looks wonderful for many months, it has glossy leaves that are bright reddish bronze in spring before turning dark green in summer and then it's full of autumnal hints as the year progresses. Keep a keen eye out and you'll spot their bright pink flowers in the summer too. In fact I just planted one, it's not doing much yet but I'm really looking forward to seeing all the colours. We couldn't leave you without mentioning that it's National Gardening Week, so on our social media we're offering gardening inspiration and advice to help you grow at home, both indoors and out. Go to at the underscore RHS on Twitter and tell us what you're doing to keep gardening using the hashtag National Gardening Week. We'd love to hear from you. Before I go, let's hear from one more of my colleagues about their favourite garden bird.
6: My favourite birds are rooks. Rooks are such fun. They're a wonderful feature of the British countryside. I particularly like them in in downland areas where they seem to thrive best. Happily, given my extreme lack of musical talent, rooks have a very easy call. It goes something like this. Call! Call! Gardens would be a sad thing if we didn't have birds in them. So I'm, I'm very happy to share my garden with birds and appreciate the efforts they do on my behalf.
1: was Guy Barter and he'll be back presenting next week. Now there are many songs that take birds for inspiration and you may have heard some throughout the show. I'll leave you with one of my favourites. It's Vivaldi's The Goldfinch. From me Fiona Davison, it's goodbye for now.